I've been telling everybody this week as I was preparing for this sermon that the old adage has rung true as it rings true every week, but this week I recognized it more than normal that every time Kevin, Eric, or I, but I'll speak just for myself this morning, that uh, I'm an imperfect servant preaching a perfect word this morning. Uh, This week, as I... uh, Went throughout my week, just be quite honest with you, and you can ask my wife, she will echo this, I was not the most pleasant person to be around this week. I was anxious, I was angry, frustrated, irritable, I apologize to all kids that I had in my class this week if I was a little bit testy, I don't know what it was this week, but I was just not in a uh, great place this week. And as I started to dive more into this sermon, I needed it. I needed it. This morning, as we talk about the great high priest, he's belaboring this point to the Jews that he is the only way. He is the only way for salvation. And sometimes, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, sometimes I can get caught up in my good works, the things I don't do, the things I do do, the things that I say, the things that I am a part of, a church, a pastor, I can get caught up in all of those things and start to place my salvation in those things, and then God humbles me in weeks like this where I realize that I am not as great as what I may think I am. And every time I get into that point, it brings me straight back to the one who was enough, the one who was perfect. So I stand before you now as your pastor, delivering this message, letting you know this morning that I needed this, just as much as I hope you do as well. As I said, we are continuing in Hebrews this week, and the title of our message is A Greater High Priest. And as you have seen, as we've been going through, we're... We're going to be finished with seven chapters of Hebrews, so we're almost about a little over halfway through the book of Hebrews, and as we continue to go through Hebrews, we've kind of seen two recurring themes in this book. The first one is that Christ is greater than all people that came before him, and then we also have seen Christ being talked about as the great high priest. These seem to be themes that just keep coming up as we continue through the book of Hebrews. And I think today we see that these two themes collide. We've talked about the priesthood. We've talked about how Christ is greater. And now this morning we get to talk about how he is a greater high priest. And why? Why are these two themes that we see continuing on here? Well, first off, we have to understand who the audience is that the author of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is delivering this message to. And that is a Jewish community. And see, the Jews had a culture that was very thick and they were very enriched into. They were devoted in the ways of which they had been taught and they were very skeptical of the ways of Jesus because it was different. It wasn't what they were used to. So the author, knowing this and knowing his audience, wanted to make a point of addressing these two needs of the Jewish people. 
And as he did this, we first have to understand their first need, and that was that Jesus is not only their high priest, but he is their Lord and Savior. And I believe that in this particular passage, the author addresses this aspect very beautifully. So today, as we describe and look at Christ's priesthood and see how it is greater, let us not think, well, we're not Jewish, Josh, so why do we care about a priesthood? We don't have any sort of priesthood that we see this process of atonement go through and all these different things. But what I realized this week is what I just mentioned at the beginning that yes, we may not put our hope in a system of sacrifice through the priest, but we can put our hope in a lot of other systems and a lot of other things that we can rest our trust and hope in for our salvation. But this morning we will see that everything is so less than what Christ is, and he is the only way. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. And we'll be starting at verse 11. Hebrews chapter 7, we'll be starting at verse 11. It says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is a necessary change in the law as well. For the one of whom all things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were in many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself." For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity we get to dive into your word. We thank you for your word, Father God, and its perfectness. Um, Lord, it's just an, it's, it's an inerrancy, it's authority that we uh, place our trust and hope in. Father, Lord, this morning I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to be, uh, as Eric mentioned, Father God, not just hearing, but Father God, embracing what this word has for us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just use me right now uh, as your servant, Father God, empty me of myself and deliver this message from you. Um, not from me, Father God. And let us all have open ears and open hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord, we ask all these things in your Son's holy name. Amen. So in all of that reading that I just did, hopefully you found the uh, purpose and the point of this passage, and that is to talk about how Christ's priesthood was greater than those of the Levitical priests that had existed during that time. So this morning, if you have your notes there, you will see that the Christ's priesthood is, is kind of our heading, and then we're going to look at four different aspects of Christ's priesthood of how they compare to the Levitical priesthood. We see that it is superior, it is trustworthy, it is eternal, and it is perfect. And good pastors have like uh, these acronyms that you could look at and how this all works. This spells out step. I don't know why, but it just spells out step. I was going to try to come up with something catchy on he stepped forward, at, but no, it doesn't really make any sense. So these are just words that I came together and they happen to spell out step. So if you notice that, it wasn't anything that I was trying to do. It just happened. So anyways, as we look at the first point, Christ's priesthood is superior. Have you guys ever heard the notion, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? I have said this a hundred times when it comes to me and coaching basketball. I may have a kid that is shooting 45% from the three-point line, but he shoots like this, and somebody says, are you going to fix that? I'm saying he shoots 45% from the three-point line. Why fix if it ain't broke? It may not necessarily look right, but if it ain't fixed, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think we've all probably heard of this or even said this before, and when we say it, it means that whatever we have going for us, if it's successful and it's working, then there's no reason that we have to change it. So in thinking in that, we see that's different when it comes to Levitical priesthood. It wasn't necessarily the case. In verse 11 it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? See, the author is bringing up a great point here. If the Levitical priesthood was perfect, if it was perfect, then why would God have to establish another priesthood? Why could we not just continue what was already established? Why change it? If it ain't fixed, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But why would God want to change it? Well, we see here that God ushers in this new priesthood by saying in Psalm 110.4 that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see that there is a new priesthood that is going to be coming in as we look at this particular passage. And we're going to be looking at this priesthood and understand that it is Christ's priesthood that he is talking about. 
See, the Levitical priesthood refers to the law of Moses, but Melchizedek is in reference to Abraham. Kevin did an excellent job last week of breaking down Melchizedek and what, he, what role he plays when we're talking about the priesthood and the difference between the Levitical priesthood and what Christ's priesthood is talking about here. There are two different priesthoods here. And if we follow the lineage of Christ whose priesthood we're talking about this morning, we know that he is not of the lineage of the Levites. The Levites, And the Levites are who the priests, that was the tribe of the priests, right? We saw that he comes from the tribe of Judah. And if you know anything about the tribe of Judah, this is David's tribe. This is the lineage of which Christ came from. And these people in the, Judah, the tribe of Judah, these people typically were the lineage of Kings, not priests. So here we see the first stamp of superiority in Christ's established priesthood. Not only was Christ called to be a priest under the order of Melchizedek, who also was not from the tribe of Levi, but also he is made a king in the tribe of Judah. So Christ holds the title of priest, and he also holds the title of king. In verse 16, it brings up the appointment of priest upon Christ and mentioned that this was not, and same with Melchizedek, this was not under the uh, legal requirement, but it was based upon the God, upon God himself, who had the power of indestructible life. So we see that this appointment is not something that is used to from the tribe here. And this is why the Jews may have a little bit of hesitation here, because Christ's lineage was not of the Levites. It was of Judah. So they would question his priesthood a little bit. But that's why he says the priest under the order of Melchizedek, not under the Levitical priesthood. And since he's from the tribe of Judah, he also has the lineage of kings. Two very highly sought of positions, the priests and the kings. Jesus holds both titles. And what was his reason of appointing Christ as high priest? Well, in verse 18, we see this. It gives us a saying by saying that a former commandment is set aside. So he's setting aside the Levitical priesthood. He's setting aside the Levitical priesthood and starting another priesthood with Christ. Why? Because he says right here that a former commandment is set aside because it is weak and it is useless. Weak and useless. Imagine you're sitting in the crowd as a Jewish audience and you hear that what you have been practicing, what your fathers, your grandfathers, your forefathers, all the people of your family's lineage, this author comes forth here and says, it is weak and useless. That's probably striking up a lot of emotions in the Jews at this time. Because this is what they had built their life upon. And this guy says it's weak and useless. But in essence, it truly was. It truly was. Now, I want to make sure we understand this before because we can really kind of get ourselves caught up into something here. God was the one that established the Levitical priesthood, correct? And if God established the priesthood and we're saying it's weak and useless, then we're saying that what God had designed was weak and useless, right? And we could kind of look at God in a bad view there. But let me, let me emphasize what we mean by weak and useless. 
It was weak and useless in the point of atonement and salvation. Not weak and useless in its purpose. The purpose of the Levitical priesthood was not to save anyone. But the point of the Levitical priesthood was to point forward to the one that could save. So when Christ, when God established the Levitical priesthood, it was never meant to be the point of salvation, but it was meant to point forward to salvation, to the one who would come and fulfill the law. So as we see this, we know that this Levitical priesthood, could, the law, it made nothing perfect. And there was no salvation that could come from it. It was imperfect people being interceded by an imperfect priest with an imperfect sacrifice. That was really at the essence of what it was. An imperfect people using an imperfect priest offering an imperfect sacrifice for an atonement of a sin. And we know that that was not going to work. But it pointed forward to what would. See, we have to understand that what does the law do? What was the point? It pointed forward to a better hope, as the author writes in here in the book of Hebrews. It pointed to a better hope through which we draw near to God. Nothing that God's ordained with is without purpose, and with all things he ordains, they point to his son and bring glory back to him. So there was purpose, even though it was useless and weak in the point of salvation, it still had purpose. And what does the law show us? The law shows us how truly imperfect we are and how we need a Savior. The problem that we have today is that we can still look at the law as a point of salvation, right? We can look at the things that we do or the things that we don't do and think that we can measure up. Ray Comfort uses this as a way to witness to other people. He uses the Ten Commandments, and he goes throughout the... Uh, beaches and towns and different things like that. And he starts going through these Ten Commandments and say, well, have you stolen anything? Have you committed adultery? Have you committed murder? All these different things. And what you can really tell when you go through that is that people think, no, I don't do those things. I don't do those things. And then what he does is then he brings Christ's words into it. And he says, did you know that Christ says, if you hate your brother or sister, you've committed murder in your heart? If you've lusted after another individual, you've committed adultery in your heart. So what the Ten Commandments do is we may sit there and think, well, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. And we could try to make ourselves perfect through the law, but ultimately what we're going to find is that we fail. Because if we miss one, if we miss one, we fail. And we are imperfect. So what the law does is the purpose of it shows us that we need a Savior. And Christ's priesthood was superior because not the, the priesthood of the Levites could not bring us salvation because they themselves were imperfect. But Christ, the king and priest, the ultimate high king, the ultimate high priest, went before us for our sacrifice. So his is priesthood is superior to those of the Levites. But also, the next point is it was also trustworthy. It was also trustworthy. I can imagine how the Jews felt in this point whenever the writer of Hebrews is telling them all this stuff, and they're just overwhelmed. And you have to understand that their lack of trust in this new covenant had to be evident. To understand this new way of doing things, they had to lack trust. They had to be a little bit uneasy about this. 
Maybe asking questions, why change the priesthood? What was wrong with the old way? Will this way change too? That's a good question. But he answers these doubts by making sure that they understand that Christ's priesthood is trustworthy. Remember back in chapter 6, this is, uh, I think the last time I preached, we described the reasoning behind God giving an oath, swearing on an oath to Abraham. We thought it was kind of different when we look at God swearing on an oath. Why would God swear an oath? Does that mean that he has to hold true to his word because he swore an oath? That without that oath, he could change his mind? No. We know that God's word is trustworthy, but he swore an oath to Abraham, not because he had to, but because he wanted his people to trust him more. And going the extra step in swearing that oath allowed them to feel more trustworthy in him. And we see that same thing today. An oath is being sworn by here in this order. In verse 20 it says, And it was not without an oath, double negative, not without, okay, and why they have to do that. I can't stand double negatives in the English language. Not without, which means it was with an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without one. So when people came in as priests under the Levitical priesthood, they did not come in with an oath. But Christ was sworn in with an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by whom who said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are the priest forever forever. See, the priests of Aaron were established and appointed based on hereditary basis. If you were in the tribe, that allowed you to possibly be in that bloodline of the priests. But this was not the appointment that Christ had. We talked about that. He was not of the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And this appointment was made under the priesthood of not Aaron, but Melchizedek. And then it was sealed with an oath from God. He sealed it. That's what we talked about last week. When he swore that oath, it was almost that final seal that allowed people to trust. And in this appointment, being sealed with an oath, it would guarantee that Christ's priesthood would never change. It would be a forever priesthood. And they could trust that this system for atonement was not only superior, but it was trustworthy. So imagine you get your life shook by saying everything that you have done from this point forward is weak and useless. Now we're moving forth to something else. Wouldn't they think, well, when's the point going to come when this priesthood is not, is, becomes weak and useless? So the author of Hebrews is trying to make this point here that God swore upon this oath that it would be a priesthood that would last forever. And what are the results of this new priesthood being trustworthy? What are the results of this oath that would make Christ's priesthood forever? Well, the results of that is that it would make Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant. It would make him a guarantor of a better covenant. Don't we love to buy things that come with a guarantee? We love things that come with a guarantee. Satisfaction guaranteed. Well, in that guarantee, it means that whatever we decide to buy comes with a full promise that we will be satisfied with our purchase. And that's really what Christ is doing here. The Jews needed a better covenant. They needed a better system. And the old covenant guaranteed nothing because it could do nothing. Do you understand that? The old covenant guaranteed nothing because it could do nothing. It was weak and useless. So there was no guarantee in that whatsoever. But with Christ being the high priest and being 
appointed by God with an oath, this covenant would be better, more complete, and perfect. See, we can trust in the, old, in the new covenant of Christ, not only because of the way or method of which atonement is made, but because of the person who is atoning. Christ in his perfect being, and we'll get into that here next, Christ in his perfect eternal being allowed this covenant to be perfect and allowed this covenant to be worthy of our trust, be worthy of our guarantee. He guaranteed that forever, sworn by an oath from God, that this priesthood would last and this priesthood would be effective. Not in the way or the method, not just in the way or the method, but through the person of Christ. The next thing that made Christ's priesthood greater is because it was eternal. Because it was eternal. We mentioned that the Levitical priesthood was useless and weak. And part of the reason was, was because these priests who were involved, what happens to all human beings? They what? They die. Thank you. They die. So when in the priesthood, these priests would serve for a time, but they could never serve in their office forever because of death that would come upon them. So what would happen is when one priest would die, they would have to have another priest come in. Therefore, there was a changing of priests all the time. Imagine that. The person that is going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat, you can't even trust him because you don't even know when he's going to continue on in office. And then this new guy comes in, and now all of a sudden you're supposed to trust him with the atonement of your sins that he's going forth and doing? There's no trust. There's no guarantee there whatsoever. That's weakness to the fullest. I was thinking this morning as I was brushing my teeth, it would be just like if you went to a, a mechanic and you show up early, let's say he opens at 8 o'clock, you show up early to bring your car in and this guy comes in on a bicycle and you're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, my car's broke. Why would I take my, why would I take my car to that guy? You have to understand here that when these priests were not able to go forth and continue on in this intercessory and this going forth and sprinkling on the mercy seat, when they couldn't even continue in atoning, why would I put my trust in them? They couldn't even last. But Christ's priesthood, according to the promise that was sealed with an oath, is a priesthood forever. Forever. And see, the thing is, we can't even grasp what forever means. And as we see this, we see that his priesthood continues forever. And in my opinion, one thing that I don't believe that the church emphasizes enough, and, and I may have said this before, and I'm not just talking our church, I'm talking the church in general, I don't think it emphasizes enough is the resurrection. We, yes, we celebrate Easter, but I feel like we always talk about Christ's death on the cross and his, and his pain for our sin, but do we understand that without the resurrection, none of that else matters? But it was in his resurrection that Christ, if he had not risen from the grave, would, been have, would have been no different than any of the priests that had went before him. Because his life would have ended too, after making an atoning sacrifice, his life would have ended right there, right then, just like the priest's life did. But it says that Christ 
rose. And it was with his resurrection that he proved that death could not hold him and that sin had truly been defeated. So Christ's eternity is truly what separates him from the Levitical priests. It's another reason why his priesthood is greater. It is in his resurrection and in his internal being that we see his, this priesthood taken to a whole nother level and makes it that much more trustworthy because it was eternal. So how does he function as a priest forever? If he's a priest forever, what does that mean, though, Josh? Yes, he's doing this, but listen, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice that it saves, notice that it says he saves to the uttermost and not from the uttermost. Man, I was going to try to sound really smart here and say what to and from's uh, part of speech they are in language, but I don't know, but I know that those are important, and if we, don't, if we switch those two, it means different things. English majors, you can tell me afterwards what those mean. Thank you, Alex. Way smarter than what I am. All right? To and from. There's a difference there, all right? So as we see that he saves to the uttermost and not from the uttermost, this means that he saves us to the fullest degree of saving. There's nothing more needed. There's nothing more needed. His salvation is complete. Now, does he save us from the uttermost? Absolutely he does. He does. But understand this. It is in the fullness of his, of his salvation, eternity, that the author is bringing to our attention here. He's not bringing to the attention that he can save us from the uttermost, meaning that we can be saved from the deepest of sins. He does do that. But even more importantly than that, he saves us to the uttermost, which means there's no more work to be done. It's saved to completion. That brings me more joy than just saving me from the uttermost. If he just saved me from the uttermost and not to the uttermost, then yes, he can save me in any state, but is he going to have to keep saving me from that? But no, it says he saves me to the uttermost. His work is done. It's complete. It's for eternity. And how does he do this? Well, he says this. He does this by intercession. Christ is our intercessor forever. Does anybody, you guys know what an intercessor means? An intercessor is someone who appeals to God on your behalf. So imagine this for a second. That is what Christ is doing forever. He is intercessing for you forever. So whenever you find yourself in sin, whenever you find yourself in a moment where sin is becoming present in your life, you find yourself doing something you're supposed to do. When I this week am being a complete bag and being grumpy and anxious and all these other things, in all of those moments that I'm doing those things that I should not be doing, Jesus looks at God and says, I got that one. I've got that one. I'll take that. I'll take Josh's anger. I'll take Josh's anxiety. I'll take Josh's words. And it was in this moment this week when I read that, that it truly brought to life what Christ is doing forever. That no matter where I find myself, 
in the heart, one of the hardest weeks I've had in a long time, where I find myself anxious, I find myself angry, I find myself treating people the way that they're not supposed to be treated. Christ is sitting there right beside at the right-hand throne of God saying, I've got that one. And I can put my trust and faith in knowing that he will do that until the very day I take my last breath. And it is in this priesthood that I don't have to worry about me having to try to be better next week because I sucked this week. But I know that in my weakest moments, Christ is strong enough. He has saved me to the uttermost. And lastly, Christ's priesthood is greater because it is perfect. The ultimate thing that separates Christ's priesthood from the ultimate, the Levitical priesthood is his perfection. Do we understand that priests of the tribe of Levi, before they offered a sacrifice on behalf of the Jews at this time, they would first have to make a sacrifice for themselves? Why? Because they too were sinful. They too had sin in their life. And the priest would need a sacrifice just as much as the people did because if he entered into the Holy of Holies to make that atoning sacrifice without first atoning for himself, he would not be allowed in. He'd be struck down, dead, because he's entering into the Holy of Holies where he himself is not holy. Once again, does that not seem weak and useless that we have a sinner representing sinners? Why didn't we just go in there? We needed something better. We needed something greater. How can we trust our salvation with sin, from sin with another sinner? It's weak. It's useless. Therefore, as it says in verse 26, we should have a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. What did the law demand? Perfection. The law demanded perfection. Nothing of this earth is perfect. Even the sacrifices that they would bring, they would say that to bring the greatest sacrifice, the greatest animal without blemish to the, craw, to the atonement room. And guess what? Even that sacrifice wasn't perfect. No matter how great the animal may have looked, it wasn't perfect. It was all stained. Everything on this earth is stained with sin. So we needed an intercessor. We needed a high priest who was perfect and blameless, not just to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Understand, brothers and sisters, this morning that, Christ, that God is not abolishing what he put in place in the political priesthood, but what he did was he sent his son Christ to fulfill the Levitical priesthood. Fulfill what they were doing. Amanda last night at the camp out had a beautiful picture of this with the kids. Explaining the temple, the tabernacle, and how that process worked. And how in that process we can see Christ all the way from the very beginning all the way until the Holy of Holies. We see Christ. And he did that in order that he didn't have to abolish what he did. But he went forward and fulfilled it to bring in and usher in the new covenant. 
Michael Kruger puts it this way. He says, we are broken and sinful people who are separated from the holy God. And no ordinary priest, no earthly system, no animal sacrifice is enough to bridge that gap. What we need is the perfect son of God who became a human being to represent us before God as our great high priest forever. Because of his perfect obedience and his indestructible life, we can have a greater confidence that our sins are forgiven and therefore we can draw near to God with confidence. Do you remember back in chapter 6 it says that Christ went forth not just as our representative but as our forerunner. He went before us as, as us not only to just be our representative but to announce that we are coming He paved the way. He bridged the gap so that we may have access to God. And it was only because he lived a perfect, sinless life that he could do that. And because he was perfect, the law was fulfilled and this new covenant could be ushered in. So in closing, I want to leave you with this question. With a Savior, with such a Savior and a high priest such as this, that is available to us today. Why would we turn to anything else? Why would we turn to anything else? Guys, I know that we don't have a Levitical priesthood that exists in our church today. Sadly, there still are some that still fall into that. There's Jews that still hold to the old ways. But we know as Christ church, we know that the Levitical priesthood system is not necessarily the way that we would go for atoning. But let me ask you this. What are we tempted with to trust in today other than Jesus for our salvation? Do you understand that whatever that is, we have to let it go. Because let me, under, let, me, let, me, let me give you some bad news this morning. You are not capable of saving yourself. You are not capable of saving yourself. This may step on toes, but it has been super heavy on my heart over the last week. When bad things happen, when bad things happen and death happens, yes, we may see that as a result of bad choices, but the problem that we, I think that we try to diagnose bad things happening is that if we would just say, if people would just stop acting this way, stop committing this sin, stop doing this, stop doing that, if marriages would just, if people would just just stay true to their husband and wife, if people would just stop drinking, if people would just stop gossiping, if people would just stop doing this, that, this, that, all these different things, then it would be a much better place. It may look better, but at the essence, there would, it would not be a good place. The problem is not the sins that are being committed. The problem is that people are not finding their salvation in Christ. If we make it about what we don't do and what we do do, 
then we are, in essence, just looking the part, but not really accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. I can sit up here till I'm blue in the face and tell you what you should not do. The Pharisees were great about not doing the wrong things. Whitewashed tombs is what Christ referred to them as. So this morning, if we're sitting here thinking, because you attend church, because you don't drink, because you don't do drugs, because you don't cheat on your spouse, because you don't do all of these different things that we would think are terrible things, and they are, but just because you don't do those things does not mean you are saved. Can they be results of salvation? Yes. But let me tell you this morning, if you hang your hat on what, you don't, what sins you don't commit, let me tell you this, I didn't do any of the bad sins that we would commit this week, but let me tell you what, this week I was so, so, just like every other week, so incapable of saving myself because I got angry, because I got anxious, because I may have talked bad about other people, all these different things, all of them worthy of eternity in hell. So yes, we may not put our faith in the Levitical priesthood, but what else are we hanging our hat on? Our good deeds, our money, our stature, our families, whatever, whatever you want to fill in the blank is not capable of saving us. But only that of the great high priest can save us. Only Jesus is sufficient to save. Only he is worthy of our hope and our trust. So this morning I ask you to find what that is that you're putting your trust in. Is it yourself? Is it your deeds? Is it your money? Is it your stature? I don't know. But whatever it is, let it go. And cling tightly to the one who saves our souls. This morning, guys, just as it is every morning, the altar's open. You're more than welcome to come forward. You're more than welcome to pray at your seat. But this morning, I ask you, have that conversation with God. Have that deep process of self-examination in your life. I had to go through it this week. And it has been freeing to know that it is only Christ that can save me. Is that the way you're feeling now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. God, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have to gather and dive into your word. God, I pray this morning as we come forward, Father, Lord, we, we know, Lord, that we are at the core of ourselves, so far from you. Lord, that there's nothing within us, Father God, that is worthy of salvation. There's nothing in us, Father God, that is anywhere close to perfection. And Father God, it is just like the Jews in this, in this, that the, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking to, Father God. Lord, it is just like them, Father God, that we find ourselves, Lord, looking at the law and realizing, Lord, that there's nothing we can do to Fulfill that. So, Father God, just as the Jews, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that that law could not just 
just damn us, Father God, but Lord, it could push us forward. Lord, that we can look forward to who went before us on our behalf as our representative, as our forerunner, who saved us to the uttermost. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we could put our faith and trust in him, the great high priest. Lord, let our lives be saturated with his blood. Father God, trusting in him in every aspect of our lives. Not trusting in ourselves and what we do or don't do, but Father God, in who we've placed our faith in. Let that be our call to salvation today, every day, and forever. We thank you for being our intercessor forever and ever. And Lord, until that day that we sang about this morning, when we are face to face with our Savior, Lord, be with us. Change our hearts. Thank you and we love you. In your son's heavenly name, amen.